Book Two, Chapter Twelve of the Late Mr. Jonathan Wild the Great. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Dennis Sayers. The Late Mr. Jonathan Wild the Great by Henry Fielding. Book Two, Chapter Twelve The Strange and Yet Natural Escape of Our Hero. Our hero, having with wonderful resolution thrown himself into the sea, as we mentioned at the end of the last chapter, was miraculously within two minutes after replaced in his boat, and this without the assistance of a dolphin, or a seahorse, or any other fish or animal, who are always as ready at hand when a poet or historian pleases to call for them, to carry a hero through the sea, as any chairman at a coffee-house door near St. James, to convey a bow over a street, and preserve his white stockings. The truth is, we do not choose to have any recourse to miracles from the strict observance we pay to that rule of Horace, Nec Deus intercit, nisi dignus vendice nodus the meaning of which is, do not bring in a supernatural agent when you can do without him. And indeed, we are much deeper read in natural than supernatural causes. We will, therefore, endeavour to account for this extraordinary event from the former of these, and in doing this it will be necessary to disclose some profound secrets to our reader, extremely well worth his knowing, and which may serve him to account for many occurrences of the phenomenous kind which have formerly appeared in this our hemisphere. Be it known, then, that the great alma mater, nature, is of all other females the most obstinate and tenacious of her purpose. So true is that observation, naturum expellus furcaliset, usque recurrit, which I need not render in English, it being to be found in a book which most fine gentlemen are forced to read. Whatever nature, therefore, purposes to herself, she never suffers any reason, design, or accident to frustrate. Now, though it may seem to a shallow observer that some persons were designed by nature, for no use or purpose, whatever, yet certain it is that no man is born into the world without his particular allotment, viz. some to be kings, some statesmen, some ambassadors, some bishops, some generals, and so on. Of these there be two kinds, those to whom nature is so generous to give some endowment, qualifying them for the parts she intends them afterwards to act on this stage, and those whom she uses as instances of her unlimited power, and for whose preferment to such and such stations Solomon himself could have invented no other reason than that nature designed them so. These latter some great philosophers have, to show them to be the favourites of nature, distinguished by the honourable appellation of naturals. 
Indeed, the true reason of the general ignorance of mankind on this head seems to be this, that as nature chooses to execute these her purposes by certain second causes, and as many of the second causes seem so totally foreign to her design, the wit of man, which, like his eye, sees best directly forward, and very little and imperfectly what is oblique, is not able to discern the end by the means. Thus, how a handsome wife or daughter should contribute to execute her original designation of a general, or how flattery or half a dozen houses in a borough town should denote a judge or a bishop, he is not capable of comprehending. And indeed we ourselves, wise as we are, are forced to reason ab effectu. And if we had been asked what nature had intended such men for, before she herself had, by the event, demonstrated her purpose, it is possible we might sometimes have been puzzled to declare. For it must be confessed that at first sight, and to a mind uninspired, a man of vast natural capacity and much acquired knowledge may seem by nature designed for power and honour, rather than one remarkable only for the want of these, and indeed all other qualifications. Whereas daily experience convinces us of the contrary, and drives us, as it were, into the opinion I have here disclosed. Now, nature having originally intended our great man for that final exultation, which, as it is the most proper and becoming end of all great men, it were heartily to be wished they might all arrive at, would by no means be diverted from her purpose. She therefore no sooner spied him in the water than she softly whispered in his ear to attempt the recovery of his boat, which call he immediately obeyed, and being a good swimmer, and it being a perfect calm, with great facility accomplished it. Thus we think this passage in our history, at first so greatly surprising, is very naturally accounted for, and our relation rescued from the prodigious, which, though it often occurs in biography, is not to be encouraged, nor much commended on any occasion, unless, when absolutely necessary, to prevent the histories being at an end. Secondly, we hope our hero is justified from that imputation of want of resolution which must have been fatal to the greatness of his character. End of Book 2, Chapter 12, read by Dennis Sayers, in Modesto, California, for LibriVox.